The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We've got a lot of USC football news to talk about today with the coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. What kind of news? Well, USC released its schedule. The Pac-12 released its schedule and USC is on that, obviously. There's also a social movement with a lot of the Pac-12 players we need to talk about. And, of course, get to all of your questions and comments. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. And if you have any questions that you want to shoot us our way, let us know which show you'd like the question to go to, like Harvey Hyde or Dan Weber, just me, Keely, whoever you want to ask the question to, and send them to podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text the number 424-254-9141. Please subscribe. Tell your friends about the show and if you have an Apple podcasting app, a five-star rating and positive reviews are always things that we appreciate, and it certainly helps to grow our show, which should be going into its 13th college football season. We're getting closer, finding out more and more information as the uh, the Pac-12 released its schedule. They're going to do their best to get the college football season in, but it's going to be in a revised way. We're going to talk about that. And a lot more with the coach, Harvey Hyde, who's on the line right now. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm uh, buckled up, taped my ankles. I'm ready to talk college football. And there is a lot of things to talk about in college football. You know, people think, oh, everybody be talking about camp and the season and so on. But this has been a different type of year, starting way back in March when spring practice was canceled. And it's been continuing every day a different topic to talk about. And every week, we've got great questions coming in, and uh, we've got a lot to discuss again this week. Yeah, a lot to discuss this week. And I'm kind of like coming in here cold a little bit, Coach, I have to say, full disclosure. So this came out on uh, Friday. The Pac-12 released its schedule. There was a meeting of the Pac-12 CEO group. They had to approve the schedule. So those are all the university presidents. And that happened uh, on Friday. Then it was the official release of the 2020 conference-only schedule. Essentially, what happened was every team in the Pac-12 played nine conference games. A tenth was added to it. The dates were obviously changed because the season was changing. So they changed the dates. They added a tenth game. And for schools like USC that had four home games and five road games, you pick up a home game. 
If you had five home games and four road games, you pick up a road game. So USC, in addition to its regular Pac-12 schedule, this regular schedule one that was for 2020, added Washington State. And that's going to be a home date. Uh, They were talking about starting the season uh, September 19th. It's now going to start September 26th. There's a couple bye weeks in there. Uh, There's... uh, there's some flexibility at the end of the schedule for playing the uh, Pac-12 championship game. But right now, just let me read off the schedule for USC and start off right away. September 26th, that's going to be the opener. USC is going to go to the Rose Bowl, play at UCLA to open the season. So that's uh, that's weird off right off the top. They got California uh, October 3rd at Stanford on October 10th. So all the California schools knocking those out uh, in the early part of the schedule. Um, October 17th, uh, Colorado is going to be at home October 24th, uh, at Arizona and, uh, October 31st would be the bye weekend, November 7th, Washington State's coming to the Coliseum. So that's the additional game, November 14th at Oregon. That was already scheduled. You knew that USC was going to go at Oregon this year, November 21st, uh, Arizona state. And then November 27th is a Friday game at home, uh, against uh, Utah. So, um, I'm sorry. It's a Friday game at Utah, not at home, uh, against Utah. And then December 5th is Washington. So, um, that there, there's one bye week in there. There's not two. There were going to do, I believe it was going to be two bye weeks when they had start on September uh, 19th. Uh, but they're going to be a delayed a week. It's actually aligning with the, uh, SEC schedule. Um, so logistically just early on, it makes sense to have the ge- geographically closer schools uh, early in the schedule. So it cuts down on travel early in the season. That's why um, you're looking at you know UCLA, Cal, and Stanford to start the season uh, for USC. So um, you know there's games that are going to be if any games are unable to be played, uh, the schedule schedule date could be made up in the bye weeks um, or in week 12, which is December 12th. And the Pac-12 football championship game, which originally slated for December 4th, is now uh, December 18th or 19th. So they've they've built some flexibility into the model, Coach, of, of what they can do. And, you know, originally USC had games against Notre Dame, uh, playing Alabama and Arlington, Texas. All of that uh, isn't happening. But that's the, the kind of breakdown of USC's schedule. Any thoughts uh, or whatever thoughts you have on that one, Coach? Well, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, first of all, the schedule was released on Friday and then Saturday, the way I heard. Now, I didn't get a copy of the letter or anything, but a letter went out to the alumni saying that, no, they, there's a possibility of changing the UCLA-USC game from the opening game to another time during the year. And to me, that's sort of embarrassing as far as a, two universities. You know darn well the athletic director and also uh, the college presidents approved this schedule. Then all of a sudden, uh, a day later, later they're saying uh, something different. So, you know, there's a lack of communication here as far as between the conferences or the conference office, maybe, and the, the presidents or the thought or the presidents not knowing or didn't talk to the athletic directors about the schedule and so on. Also, at the same time, uh, the conference commissioner mentions, well, if we can't get through the whole schedule, there's a possibility will play two parts, one in the fall and one in the spring, which to me 
uh, doesn't make any sense, and I don't think that'd be great for college football to be able to do that. I've said all along that uh, if you think that this might not happen, don't have it. Just have a spring season. The worst thing that can happen is to have football and then have to cancel it. And then also having the championship game, they talked about that. The Pac-12 championship game was supposed to be in Las Vegas, and now they have changed that where it'll be at the uh, number one team or the highest ranked team in the Pac-12 will host the championship game on their campus like it used to be years ago. So there's a lot of uh, leeway and a lot of conversation still within this schedule, and I don't know if it is the uh, schedule that USC will be doing and UCLA will be doing uh, or not. But the only thing positive about the September 26th game, if you're going to have a football season, it's a one-game season. If you only play one game, you get to play UCLA in the Rose Bowl. So you go to the Rose Bowl and you play UCLA, and what happens from there, who cares? But, I mean, you want to have a complete season. But how about getting ready during the fall camp about thinking you're going to open with UCLA in the Rose Bowl? That could be a victory over UCLA and your Rose Bowl game at the same time. So you have a lot to work and look forward to, and then you move on and take the rest of your schedule one day at a time. So I don't think that's all that bad, and I don't know why they're planning on moving it or why they even think about moving it once they agree to it. So, Ryan, that's my uh, opinion currently right now before I hear something else happen. Yeah, so the fall camp is scheduled for August 17th. So, you know, get a few weeks to get ready for that September 26th game. You know, it's a little different than what we saw the initial proposals uh, were going in, but you know, I, it it seems like it it works. You get why there's the the clo- you know local games early on. Um, you've come up with something. You've built in some flexibility, which I think is important. My thoughts, Coach. I don't know if they're going to get to one game and and stop it. I to me, it's either going to be if they actually play those games October twenty. You know, I mean sub- September. Uh, you know, twenty sixth. I kind of feel that you're going to go forward and, and get the season in. To me, it's more about they report for camp and then guys are getting sick and, and things are, you know, bad things are happening. To me, the season will probably get canceled during camp as opposed to uh, the games. And it, it was, you know, it was interesting, um, you know, over the weekend, see, you know, I was in Catalina uh, and uh, camping. So I was like completely off the grid for a couple of days. And I wasn't sure if I came back, I'm like, is baseball still going to be going on? Cause like the Marlin thing was happening before I left and you know, the Phillies were exposed, but I, I believe, and I don't know if you've seen anything about this. It, it seemed like the Phillies players didn't really catch anything from the Marlins on the field. And that was like an encouraging sign that baseball is different than football. But um, it seemed like to me, the, the easier way to catch the virus was going to be like in the clubhouse and your locker room when you're in the more, enclosed areas from your own team than when you're playing someone and you know there's you're especially in football you're hitting people but there's still limited time exposure between you know the the, any two players at any given time but you're with your own players quite a bit so if someone gets it it's easier to transmit um so to me coach i feel like if things go haywire it's going to be after uh you know august 17th when camp starts as opposed to when the season starts, but who, I mean, who knows? We don't know at this point. Well, I would agree with you. I really do. And then you have, you're going to have to put together a practice 
format that really protects you against this uh, virus because I don't know if you ever want to have all your quarterbacks together where all your whole entire quarterback group gets the virus. I think you've got to get your reps separately, maybe ones against threes and twos against fours, and you keep them completely separate because if you start to have team meetings uh, or run uh, certain plays or individual drills with all the quarterbacks at one time, one place, there's a possibility of all one position getting something. So you've got to be very careful on how you organize your practices, your meetings, everything you do as far as putting your practice schedules together, as far as getting through camp, that if you lose someone, you've got a backup for that position. So there's a lot to be thought about here. And uh, Ryan, I agree with you. Uh, you're going to be around each other. You're going to be practicing. You know, you got to stay away from the fraternity houses. I'm going to tell you that. And I don't figure that. I can't even figure that out why those are open and there's so many cases over there. But you've got to be able to watch these young kids and make sure that they're all in a safe environment. And we'll see what happens. But uh, uh, it's all going to come out here in the next month or so or maybe sooner. And I'd like to see the decision sooner rather than later so that plans can be made on what's going to happen in the spring or for the 2021 football season. Yeah, I think you, you want to know for sure. And uh, I think we will once, you know, what camp starts and it's real, it's more realistic to watch player. You know, if you see, if you're going to camp and they're playing football in that kind of environment, they're working out They're you know, linemen are going one-on-ones against each other. They're practicing, they're doing meetings and all those kind of things. Um, and, and the numbers are down, I think that works out okay. You know, where, but if not, if things are like, well, you're trying to play football, you're trying to practice football, you're trying to do everything organized around football, and it's not working, um, players are getting sick, then I think this shows that, yeah, you're not going to be able to start the season. Um, so, it, you know, we don't know at this point. I think this is a, a positive sign that, you you know, we, we don't have that power um, – structure in college football where there's someone running the whole show like a Roger Goodell in the NFL. So it gives these conferences a chance to kind of step up and show, here's what we're going to do. Here's the protocols in place. We're going to try to keep everyone safe and, and go in that direction. And, you know, I think that's where USC and, and the PAC 12 there they are right now. And I think so far they've handled it well. Um, but, you know, to me, it's more about when you're doing those full workouts and, you know, California, you still can't even work out inside. You're supposed to have these kind of gatherings. How do you have a player meeting uh, if you can't do it inside in California? So I think that there's a lot of, you know, uh, hurdles to jump over between uh, now and the start of camp. But that's when I want to watch more. It's like, hey, what's, we, no, we're not going to be able to watch practice. But, you know, what's going to go on with camp? And uh, are, are they able to do it safely? Are they able to practice like you normally would want to practice football? And keep it safe and people aren't you know catching the the virus so hopefully that's the case and if that is the case then i i would feel a lot more confident going into the season but yeah to me like i said this gets derailed in camp uh not not afterwards you know ryan uh you can look at the conference entirely and you say uh where is the hotbed of the virus and so on it's southern california so I think really California is going to really dictate to the Pac-12 on whether they have a season or not. Because if the governor says uh, we're not going to be able to have uh, contact or do these type of things, that's four teams in the Pac-12 that are gone. Now, in Arizona, things are getting better. Utah, things are pretty good. 
other states, things are pretty good. So if for some reason California can't play football or the governor says they can't, he's already said you can't have attendance, uh, then I think the Pac-12 will not have a football season. At least that's the way I've heard it talking to other coaches and people. So uh, it'll be different, too, in attendance. As far as in some states, they'll have attendance. Uh, how many people? I don't know. Half, third, or whatever the stadium is, depending on what their medical staff feels in those certain states. So there's going to be a lot of difference in scheduling and home field advantages and all of the above. But there's a lot to be organized, and uh, they've spent a lot of time in trying to make this happen. So I certainly hope it works out for all of us, including the kids. But the number one thing is safety comes first. Yeah, safety comes first for sure. And uh, every day, <laughs> we're getting closer and closer. They keep pushing the dates back a little bit, but that's good. I mean, you give it gives you an opportunity, uh, you know, the best opportunity possible to have a college football season. We're all hoping for that. We, you know, obviously, you want it to be safe. But it's one of those things where you're like, all right, are we going to get there? Is it going to happen? Um, so we will see. All right, let's um, go. We actually had a couple questions, Coach, uh, about the schedule. So maybe we'll talk about those first, and then we'll get to some of the other topics. So let me play this one for you, Coach. Hi, this question is for Ryan and the coach. We're playing UCLA first. And we had trouble with their offense because their quarterback extended plays with his legs. He's very athletic. We're going against somebody who sometimes can play like Lamar Jackson. So, Coach and Ryan, what would you do to contain this quarterback? Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, he's very athletic. Uh They'd rather run him, but they don't want to run him because they don't want him to get injured. I think he's a better runner than he is a, a thrower, uh, he, unless he's improved a lot in the offseason. I don't think he's going to beat you throwing the football. I think you've got to uh, be able to contain him and let him know that every time he keeps the ball or every fake he does, is going to be somebody in his face. you got to sort of get to him. He's had trouble with ball control and uh, making the right decisions. Uh, he's a great athlete out of Bishop Gorman High School. I saw him play in high school. I think he's a great athlete, but you're in the opening game of the year, you got a great opportunity to keep a guy jittery, jump around, show different fronts, do different ways of containing And I think the number one thing is contain him, because they really don't want to run him. And uh, a lot of quarterbacks, uh, they want to run and allow him to run, and they're not worried about him getting hurt. No one color quarterback draws and, everything else, but I don't really believe Chip Kelly wants his quarterback to run the ball and be an athlete and get hit, but he's not a, a, a strong built type of guy. He's a tall, thin guy, and uh, I would think that uh, the whole office is going to be built around him, so I'd be in his face all the time, Curtis. I'd be in his face. I'd give him different looks. I'd make him think rather than play the game, hope to create uh, turnovers, hope to create mistakes, and uh, all of the above, try to strip the football because he's had trouble with ball control. All the things that uh, you've been able to scout and know about a football player, you take advantage of in the opening game of the year. So in the opening game of the year, you're not really all prepared as far as for all the different types of things that you can throw at somebody. And I think that uh, you can throw a lot of different things at him and, and, and make it really difficult. Yeah, uh, he's you know athletic quarterback for sure. 
I like Curtis talking about these matchups. Now, you know, you play UCLA first. You got some matchup issues there. Uh, so we'll see. Chip Kelly 1-1 against uh, Clay Helton. But to get to open the season against your arch rival is going to be different. But, you know, everything's different uh, in the this pandemic, uh, you know, post the sports world and the pandemic. But at least there's been, fo- you know, we've seen, not football, we've seen sports on TV recently. It's it's a change, you know, and I think it's getting people a little bit more excited uh, about the season just because you know we're seeing other sports going out there. But thank you for that one, Curtis. Uh, we got another question about the end of the season. What happens there? Let me play this one for you, Coach. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, I had a question. So I don't expect USC to go undefeated um, and win the Pac-12 both, but um, they have the roster too. So I want to know, you know, seeing that the SEC and the Big Ten uh, and everybody but the Big 12 right now is going conference only, a lot of these high-end SEC and Big Ten teams might end up having one or two losses on their resumes despite maybe having a high ranking or whatever. So because they're going to be playing and beating up on each other. So I want to know if USC does go undefeated and wins the Pac-12, would that definitely get them in? Because some of these really good teams, really top-tier teams, are going to have some, some losses on their resumes, it seems like right now. So kind of want to know your guys' thoughts on that. Would they definitely get in the playoffs if they went undefeated? Thank you. Well, you know, I would definitely think that one of the teams, the team that goes undefeated, if the team goes undefeated in the Pac-12, would uh, be able to get to the playoffs, whether it's uh, right now the favorites would be SC and Oregon. Uh, Anybody could win it, don't get me wrong, because of who's eligible and who's not eligible as far as with the virus and so on and who can play and who can't play. But I would think that uh, they should qualify for one of the four teams to play in the playoffs. And uh, one of the, uh, well, the Rose Bowl's hosting a playoff game this year, so it would be a natural. I don't know if the people would be allowed to go to it or not. But I I would think for sure. uh, I would think that uh, record means a lot. And everybody's doing the same thing. Uh, The Southeastern Conference, uh, they're going to beat up on each other. And a team there could have one or two losses. uh, but, uh, you know, you've got to look at everything. You can't take four guys from the Southeastern Conference. You might be able to take two. And then you've got Clemson, of course. And now Notre Dame's in the ACC. So we'll see what happens there. Clemson is going to be an outstanding football team. And in the Big 12, you've got uh, Oklahoma again, Texas, and the other teams that are in there. So I think it'd be a real battle there for uh, Oklahoma to go undefeated this year with a new quarterback coming in. And, if they're a one-loss team or if Texas is a one-loss team and in the Big Ten, if well, in the Big Ten, Ohio State, to me, is the best team in the country or one of the top three teams in the country. So if I had to say right now who would go to a playoff game, I'd have to say Ohio State might be one, Alabama might be one, Clemson might be one, and then who's the fourth one? Would they take a second-place team from another conference or an undefeated team from the Pac-12? I think they would take an undefeated team from the Pac-12. I really do, because I think they uh, they have felt the pressure that they have not selected a team from the Pac-12, and I would think that uh, this would be an opportunity for them to do that and be able to justify it. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously there's a lot of questions going into the season. What happens if the season gets played, and how does the postseason look? And what, what you know, what... 
value is the committee going to place on all of the conferences? And I think the, you know, what's going to happen if every major conference has an undefeated champion, if it's a Clemson and like I say, an Alabama and Oklahoma and Ohio State and USC. So you got no out-of-conference games. They run the table, win their conference championship. Uh, do you get selected? Or if it's, I think two two losses aren't going to be a thing if you have an undefeated Pac-12 team. You know, if it's like an Oregon or USC, I think the brand, you know, as an undefeated team, I think the only chance that they would not get in would be if it was all undefeated teams from all the major conferences. I think that's really the only realistic shot for like a USC or Oregon. If some, like if Cal or someone goes undefeated, they could get left out against maybe like a one loss Alabama or something. I think a lot easier. Um, But you know, it, if it's, if it's a team like that, if it's USC and say like Alabama runs a table and like loses in the SEC championship game to like uh, whoever, I mean, I don't know how they're, you know, if it's Georgia or something and, and Georgia's in, do you take Alabama with the one loss and they ran the table except for the championship game over an undefeated USC? Probably not. Um, but do you take, you know, would you would Alabama get in over a one loss USC team uh, that, you know, maybe lost during the regular season? I, it's, it's hard to say at this point. We just don't know. I think it's better if you would expand the playoffs this year and let every conference champion in. And, you know, bring in like a group of five or a couple at largers, whatever you want to do, six, eight teams. I think that would be a lot of fun and and probably be better anyway. But otherwise, it's just going to be the regular pick the four best teams you've seen, knowing that there's not going to be any crossover games. You're not going to be able to see uh, what Ohio State looked like playing in Eugene. You're not going to be able to see like an Auburn, you know, play Washington like we saw last year. You're just not going to see those games, USC and Alabama. You know, there's not going to be those comparison games. Um, so to me, I'd rather see an expanded playoffs. I haven't seen too much about that. I don't know if it has been discussed lately coach, but um, I like that idea. But as far as I don't think a two loss teams getting ahead of, of an undefeated USC, I really don't think a one loss team will get ahead of USC, but you know, we just don't know at this point, it's going to come up to what the committee thinks and they'll still be meeting. They'll still be uh, hashing things over. And, uh, we, you know, we don't know. There might be a whole bunch of one and two lost teams that you got to sift through, or you might have a bunch of undefeated teams. Um, but it's a conference only schedule. So all of this is, is new and you, you don't have those crossover games to add data points. So you have less data basically to make these really tough decisions. I would agree, Ryan. I would say this, I would say that if they all had an undefeated team, all undefeated, all power five teams are all defeated, I would think they'd leave USC out. Or because of the strength of schedule within the conference, because of the rankings in the conference now as far as who's ranked and who's not ranked, compared to the other preseason magazines and the rankings that are going on and the scheduled strength, I would think that they would leave out the Pac-12 because of the power ratings of these football teams and who's playing who within conference. And if some teams, if all five teams went undefeated, USC would not make the playoffs or, or Oregon. I just don't see that happening because of uh, the strength of schedules that these other teams play within their conference. I, I just got to be honest with that. Not that I'm saying that the Pac-12 is a weak conference. I'm just saying currently I think those others would be able to justify being undefeated and going to the playoffs first. 
And I think what's going to be on a like we there's less data to cross over, but what we're going to know more about are these teams where in the ACC, in the SEC, they're adding two conference games, right? Like they're going to be going to 10 as opposed to eight. So instead of only playing eight conference games where like in Alabama doesn't ever play Georgia or hardly ever plays Georgia in the regular season, I believe they're, you know, they're going to this year. Um, and where like USC and Oregon are playing almost, you know, they're playing a lot of the time they're playing Stanford all the time. Um, so I feel like there's games in the SEC uh, that you don't get that are cross divisions and you're going to get more of them now. So I think going undefeated, like if say Alabama goes undefeated, um, they'd usually play one tough out of conference game, but they're getting rid of, you know, the, the couple of Patsy games that they would have two or three of those. And they'll have an extra, you know, two extra SEC games that they have to play. So I feel that it will mean a lot coach. And I feel like they're going to be like, Oh yeah, they, not only, you know, they beat Georgia and then they had to beat, you know, whoever, like, they're, you know, at, with Auburn and uh, LSU and, and Florida, like you're playing all these teams, but then also playing some of the better teams from the other division too. And then having to play the SEC championship game, I think that'll be a strong, if it's a SEC um, champion that's undefeated, I feel it's going to be a strong one because they're going to have a tough schedule. Like we saw what LSU had to do last year, all these top 10 teams that they played. Um, I feel like you're going to get an even better schedule from that. You know, like LSU played Texas last year, which was significant. So now you're going to add a couple of games like that. Instead of having the eight, you know, conference games only, you're going to have 10. And I, I think seeing everyone play the same number of conference games would be a significant, a significant data point that we haven't had before. We don't have the crossovers, but we at least have, uh, a constant as far as the number of conference games you're going to play. Yep, and I like that uh, because uh, the Southeastern conferences have only played eight conference games before, while the Pac-12 played uh, nine conference games. And uh, I think that's important that everything's equal. That's why last week, a couple of weeks ago, I told you there needs to be a commissioner of college football that equalizes everything up. So the balance of schedule is the same and everybody playing under the same rules and regulations and there's more thought process and exactly what it's all about. But we'll see what happens with that. And it's hard to predict those type of things now as far as if this happens and if that happens, especially with the virus and everything else is going around and the injury factor as far as having to hit every single week now in the Southeastern Conference and these other conferences. But, but I would think that uh, USC, looking at their schedule, if they come to play and they play the type of football they're supposed to play this year, uh, they've got a heck of a chance of having a great season. Now, going undefeated, you got to be lucky too. So I don't want to say they're going to go undefeated. I think they have to play well. They can't beat themselves, and they got to play well on the road. So uh, to do that, I think they'd have a great chance to have a great season. So... If you go undefeated and you don't get selected, that doesn't mean you didn't have a great season, okay? So uh, you might end up still third in the country or whatever, or maybe second in the country in the final ratings. But uh, I think you just got to play it out and see what happens at the end, and it's very difficult to talk about that now because there's too many ifs in front of us. Yeah, a lot, a lot of ifs, but uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Thanks, Evan, for sending that in or calling that in. Uh, Other news we have to get to, Coach. So this was, again... Breaking over the weekend while I was uh, camping on an island and had no service, so 
I had to catch up on all of this last night when I got in. But uh, there was a published report by ESPN uh, Saturday that revealed Pac-12 players were threatening to opt out of 2020. Uh, and the demands were for player safety and racial issues. If they if those demands weren't met, they were going to opt out. Then they published an open letter uh, at in the playerstribune.com, and they had four demands to protect the benefit uh, both scholarship and walk-on athletes. So there was health and safety protections, uh, protect all the sports, end racial injustice in college sports and society, and economic freedom and equality. So. Um, and the economic freedom was broken up into different subsections. One of them demanded that a 50% revenue share uh, for distributed uh, evenly among the athletes in their respective sports. So that's a that's a big one uh, they're talking about there. But there's, um, you know, some of it was, uh, you know, getting some medical expenses paid, medical coverage for six years after uh, the the athlete leaves college. So there were some there were some really interesting. Uh, aspects to this coach and we've seen you know the the hashtag we are united they've tweeted out and put on instagram a lot of social media stuff uh, un- uh unification between pac-12 uh players that they're united in this um it was you know the original letter i think was signed um but so they had uh yeah 12 players from nine different schools usc didn't have a player on that you know, on that list that the original um, signed the the story that they sent to different news organizations. So from what I've been reading, Coach, I'm, I think it's a there's definitely some players that are involved in this and they're willing to sit out the season. We've seen sort of a mixture though of other players are like, hey, I support all this stuff, but I'm not willing to sit out the the 2020 football season. Um, I I don't get the feeling that this is you know everyone's united like they're saying. There, there's definitely some players that are part of this, and there's other players. They're not, but I think there's some some really good points in this, and some that are just, I you know, fifty percent revenue s- split. I just don't think anything like that would would work, uh, even with you know the way Title Nine is structured. It just I think there would be illegal to do something like that. But we've seen a lot of USC players, coach. Even though no one signed uh, that letter, none of the USC players did. There were players that were tweeting it out. There were players that were. Uh, putting, you know, tweeting out their own thing. Chase Williams uh, tweeted out the the black and white uh, we are hashtag we are united statements. Uh, a bunch of the players would retweet that. They've liked a uh, number of different posts. And there's other USC players that have, you know, former USC players were doing that too. But you got guys like Chris Steele. Uh, you know, he said that he came to USC to play football and, and make it out for me and mine. Um, so he said uh, he didn't know what other players' thought process was and. Uh, like Keaton Slovis liked that tweet. So there's there's definitely a mixture from the players on uh, what's going on. I don't think anyone's going to argue that, you know, they would like to see, you know, racial injustices ended. And they would like to see, uh, you know, more, um, you know, medical benefits and things like that. Uh, but not all players are willing to sit out the season to try to achieve that. But it's it's been make obviously pretty big news, Coach. I mean, the, the season's up in the air already. And this is a situation where it like puts things even more in doubt. So I don't know what you what you've read or you know saw that over the weekend, Coach. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Well, you know, I probably know what everybody else knows. I don't know much about uh, how many people are involved. In, you know, in, in signing and in signing this petition and all of the above. I would be more or less concerned, I think, with 
my team on how my team felt because I don't know what happens on other college campuses, but I know that what happens on our college campus like USC, uh, uh, I think they take care of the players pretty good. And, uh, and who knows, uh, maybe there are some college campuses that don't uh, do some of the things that are necessary as far as uh, what's right and what's wrong. Uh, I would be looking as a football coach as far as my team and making sure that they're taken care of academically, nutritionally, uh, all the different things football-wise, football equipment, training, everything, and then we would do everything we could for outside the football program to help all the Olympic sports and everything else to make sure that we have a united force in the athletic department in every way we could. And if I had to sit down and discuss that with my team representatives and my team players and areas that we needed to improve on, I would worry about more or less my team, my school, my university, as far as what we can do to make it better and still be able to be a unit and be together and not have to opt out or do the threats that, that are, that are going to maybe separate our team uh, in a way. So I don't know much about it, Ryan, but uh, what's going on, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, some of the things I can see, they could be a little bit legit. I mean, as far as insurance for players after they leave college, sometimes uh, nagging injuries come back, knee problems and so on, and I don't know what they're talking about as far as that, but I think that kid should be still covered if he needs to have another surgery on his knee that was actually happened in contact or in practice or in a game at a university. There's some of those things I think that are really justified uh, as far as if you had a college injury and now you're out of college and you don't have insurance that handles this. And, and I think that there's some things you got to look at. So uh, all the, all the demands or the things they're talking about and opting out, uh, I don't really know about. So it's hard for me to comment on that, but I'd be more or less concerned with my university, my players, on what we do at our school and how we can make it better for them. Yeah. And I think that's what, what I would be concerned with. Yeah, there, I mean, I there's there's a bunch of stuff I think that makes sense and some that doesn't, and that might be a negotiating tactic. Uh, I just didn't get the feel that this was like really a united thing. I mean, it's, there was, uh, you know, players that were just reading about it on social media, they're learning about it and they're supporting it. Um, it's tough. I mean, it, it would be tough to get the players from every conference. I mean, you're a, you were a head coach coach. And if you had some kind of movement on your team, it's hard to get everyone on board just for that. Just your team. You're talking about across multiple teams. Everyone's situation's different. If you're a team that you're going into the season thinking like, yeah, we're not going to win a lot of games. I could sit out. Or you're a team that can win the Pac-12 and go to the playoffs. You're like, yeah, I don't want to sit out this one. Um, but, you know, there were some big names like Penny Sewell, uh, you know, the the Oregon uh, offensive tackle, one of the best players in the country. Some of the interesting stuff in here, um, you know, the gu- guaranteed medical expense coverage. Uh, I think that's, a you know, that I think a lot of that makes sense. Um, you know, the uh, elimination of policies restricting free speech and charitable work beyond mandatory athletic participation. That makes sense. So sometimes you'd have a player trying to do something for charity and there would be get in trouble by the NCAA because he was using his image to help a charity. It just stuff like that doesn't make sense. You know, other things that have been talked about, like the one-time transfer rule with immediate eligibility, that's something that the NCAA was already considering, probably would have passed 
if COVID wasn't going on. Um, you know, the name image and likeness stuff, you know, the NCAA has been fighting that. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing every state, a lot of states pass laws, um, a retainment of eligibility. If you participate in a pro draft and don't get selected, I like that too. I mean, so why, you know, why can't you have a player go and try, you know, he tries for the draft, doesn't get picked, let him come back to school. You know, uh, there, there's some stuff that like, Hey, that, that makes sense. Trying to split, you know, the 50% of each sport's total conference revenue distributed among their athletes in their respective sports. It's tough because you only have two sports that make money, mostly just one football. Um, and I've read different reports where people were saying, like I said, it's a title nine thing. Uh, it w- you would be, it would be illegal to do that to kind of separate, Hey, football m- makes this much money. Players get this uh, volleyball, women's volleyball gets this, they get that, that, that wouldn't fly. But also, it seems like that would probably you'd end up eliminating it a bunch of sports because um, most of the sports don't make money. It's the ones that do. You know, football pays for everything for most of the, for the most part. So, and that, like I said, this could be negotiating tactics. Um, they're trying to get people's attention. They certainly have got people's attention. Uh, but like I said, I don't feel like it's this completely united front. We're seeing different players tweet different things. Um, I think they could narrow it down and get a lot more people on board. But this is a pretty broad. Um, you know, there's a lot of aspects to this coach and, uh, you know, something happened over the weekend. We'll see what it does, but just another sort of, uh, you know, question mark going into the 2020 season. Not that we didn't have enough of them already. This is, uh, one more of them. You know, and, and some of the things, you know, the, uh, universities, um, have sort of brought this on themselves as far as, you know, like Stanford dropping 11 sports and, they have a $27 billion endowment that they couldn't find a way to keep those sports for those student athletes and, uh, other sports that are barely getting by financially yet. They read about the commissioner making 5 million and the coaches making 5 million and AD making 2 million and all the dollars that are generated by the athletes. They've already said that the money's being generated by the players in football. So, you know, uh, I've told you before, there's going to be a cap on a lot of this. I mentioned a lot of this in a lot of our shows a long time ago, that uh, there's being money, I think, spent foolishly. You don't have to pay that kind of money. And I'm a coach. I don't blame the coaches for getting that type of money. But, hey, man, I'd do for 500000 a year. How many people are making 500000 a year? Uh, you don't have to pay these, and that money can go to other things that could really help students, student-athletes, Olympic sports, other portions of your university and athletic department. And I think that, they, you know, you, you've been flaunting this as far as paying people and talking about how much money is being made all the time. And as a kid, you look at that and say, what am I getting out of this? And uh, really, yes, you're getting a scholarship, and I think it's great. I don't think players should be paid. But if kids want to you know, go out and take their jersey and put their name on it and sell it, if a kid wants to go to a car dealer and say, put me in the, in the magazine and put my face there with my SC jersey on and pay me something, big deal. How many people you know are going to do that? Because uh, these dealers are smart and people are, deal, are, are smart. They're not a lot of that. People talk about all these things, but again, you know, it's getting blown out of proportion too on how much money these kids can raise on going out and selling their uh, images and doing the different things uh, with themselves. I don't think they should be stopped from doing that. 
Uh, I think that that's part of learning to go to college and how to having a job on the side and creating a business on the side and and practicing your skills and being able to still work. Why not? Uh, I think that you shouldn't limit these kids to things that they could do like that. If they have the energy and the academic time to do that and they're good in their grades, but, you know, they have academic counseling as often as they want. They have a lot of good things going on. But, again, a lot of this, as I've discussed before, this isn't the first time I've said this before any type of petition came out or anything else. People are spending too much money on too many things that aren't necessary. And when you start start dropping things or losing coaches or other things that are happening but you're not willing to keep the sport and cutting jobs out, uh, then I think that the kids are trying to make notice of this so that people can see uh, what they see and what they've been hearing. Yeah. I think they're also called for uh, big pay cuts for, you know, like Commissioner Larry Scott and stuff, which I think everyone's in favor of. Like, yeah, she, he should be making $5 million a year and coaches and administrators. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there. Make sure you can read it and check it out. Um, and, you know, we'll be following along with this uh, as it goes. But it's one of those things where, um, I, I think if you want to say this is a united front and you have 12 teams in the Pac-12, you at least need one player from every team signing that. Um, so, you know, I, there's going to definitely be some more support, uh, but I feel like this might be a little premature as far as going out and saying this is something that everyone supports. I think there's a lot of people out there that want to help players with their rights, help with the racial injustice, all that kind of stuff. But this one seems a little, you know, as far as, is it really united? Is everyone signed up and on board? Did they did they vet everyone and have everyone kind of debate what the the points should be, or did they kind of come up with the points and said, "Hey, everyone should get behind this"? Um, it's so yeah, so we'll see. But I mean, it might just be a timing thing where they're trying to get this out during the pandemic. I don't know, uh, but we'll hear more about this uh, in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? Come back and uh, finish up the show with a few questions. Back in a minute. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
Man, we had a lot of stuff, Coach, uh, to get to today. Um, so got all that out of the way. We have a question from uh, Dave, Alaska Dave. He says, hey, hello, hello, Ryan and Coach Hyde. I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician and worry about COVID-19 and linemen in particular. We know that this disease is a much worse actor in obese indiv individuals, including young individuals. I certainly hope that no player becomes significantly ill, but it's inevitable that football players will become infected. The vast majority will tolerate the virus well, but linemen in particular will need to be extraordinarily vigilant. Thank you for bringing this matter to the public's attention. Alaska Dave. And I think I've talked about this on another show before coach. I don't know if it was with, with you or somebody else. Um, I think they were looking at some of the numbers where if you look at, um, you know, obesity rates, it's not necessarily um, always the same. You have, I for, oh man, I forget what the term is, but your BMI um, and BMI is not, you know, it's basically just your height times weight or, or the height and weight ratio. And, you can come up, hey, you're obese. But if you look at like a jacked uh, linebacker who's you know six two and two hundred forty five pounds, they say he's ob obese, but he's like in the best shape of anyone that you would see, and that's you know four percent body fat. So I'm curious, Alaska Dave, if there's linemen that would be considered obese by the BMI scale, but are in really good shape and and might be able to not have the same sort of effects as an obese person that was not an athlete that was, you know, drinking beer all the time and sit on the couch and eating McDonald's all day. Um, you know, it, is there going to be a different kind of quote unquote obesity um, where you could consider, consider a lineman like, you know, he's six, six, 300 pounds. He's considered obese, but he's also in really good shape. He can jump 40 inches, dunk a basketball. And I don't know if that, how the virus would affect him is if he would be looked at the same as someone that was more, that didn't have that same kind of active lifestyle, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think coach? Well, according to that scale, I've been a beast all my life. Okay. <laughs> you are not. Okay. Yeah. I, I was overweight, like on my BMI thing until I started losing some weight, but I felt like, man, I'm, I'm like six, three. I was like 210 pounds. And they were like, yeah, you're overweight. I'm like, wow. Okay. I know. I know. So if you go by that scale, all of us are a beast. Okay. Yeah. So I think you got to look at the individual person on how that individual person is built, like you said, how he, how he's uh, healthy, uh, what he does. I mean, uh, does he have uh, uh, possibly other problems uh, with like diabetes or something that accompanies uh, his weight? I think you have to look at all the different things as far as what can be gauged uh, uh, a problem or what could possibly be a problem with every individual. And I think you've got to be very careful if somebody does have some of these uh, underlining circumstances. I think you've got to be very careful and be concerned about that. And maybe a player should not play. But uh, today, guys are, are big and stronger than ever before. Uh, and if you're a caregiver, you see that. But I don't think you see these type of athletes that uh, are this big and this, this way put together. Uh, and I couldn't call them obese. I would call them big young men, big young men who have worked hard. And and uh, some of them uh, have developed their skills and developed their strength uh, through the conditioning programs that are out there. And, and the ones that are obese, the, the trainer is on them right now. And the nutritionist is on them right now as far as putting them on special diets to lose weight. 
and get themselves into a playing type of condition where they can play an entire game. So I think you're talking or uh, making the difference of night and day here as far as comp- uh, comparing a an athlete as far as it's 300 pounds and an individual who's 300 pounds who is not an athlete. So I think that uh, there you're making a comparison to two different type of forms of individuals. So that's the way I'd answer that. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have one more for you, Coach. It's our friend Joan. Uh, I want to ask Coach Hyde's opinion on whether head coach's salary should change to a more incentive-based pay with no buyouts and exit clauses if they don't meet the metrics established for success, such as winning percentages. It could be a graduated system, especially with a new coach, but something that motivates them to be productive and not take home a big paycheck. Uh, And these buyouts are terrible. I see no reason for a buyout, not even to help retain a coach. Also, I was upset over the exit deal for the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa. Obviously, there was a huge issue in the program, why does a man deserve a million dollars because he did the wrong things? I think this is bad form. We need a cultural change as far as how we pay people in coaching and conditioning. That's from Joan. Well, I tell you, a lot of coaches as well athletic directors are on that uh, incentive uh, basis already. I don't know how many people understand this, but uh, athletic directors have the same type of incentives in their con- contract of how many uh, student-athletes graduate, what's the overall grade point, how many conference championships you win. All these things are in uh, also the athletic director's contract. Now, maybe every university is different, but I know uh, that many, many universities have all this in the, these incentives in the athletic directors as well as the head football coaches. If you look at the head football coaches around the country, if you win your conference uh, – you get another $200,000. If you go to a, uh, a major bowl game, you get another $100,000. If your student athletes have a certain grade point, you get another $50,000. If you go to a, a, a championship game or a playoff game, you get $300,000. If you win the national championship, you get a million dollars. I mean, you see this already established with most coaches and most athletic directors through, throughout the country, no matter what conference they're in. So I already have that. I think it. It. Uh, I just think it's unnecessary to have a flat salary of paying someone three million, four million dollars to coach a game of football. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I'm happy for them, but let's be realistic. I mean, you're not saving people's lives. You're. It's a sport. Football is a game, and you're going to do it no matter what. You just can't play anymore, so you're going to coach it because you love it, and that's why you do it. That's why I did it. That's why I hired coaches that never asked me how much it paid. If I have to tell you how much it paid, I'm not sure I want you. I want somebody who has a passion to coach. And I remember when I interviewed, I'd say, don't tell me what it pays. Pay me what you think I'm worth after you find out about me. So, you know, I think a lot of this is, is I don't know how it's all made up. It's so-and-so makes more than him. Or I'm going to quit unless I get a better scholarship. It's all, you know, or a better better salary. It's all administration fault, too, and the university's fault. Now, the regions pass this. They go to the regions to approve their contracts. So I don't blame the football coach and the agent that can get this, but the agent's going to be making 10%, 15% of all the money the coach is going to make. 
And the coach is going to have an agent now because he's embarrassed to ask for that type of thing. So the coach gets back out of the way and he says, this is what I've come back with. What do you think? And the coach says, well, what do you think? Well, I think I can get more. Well, go see if you can get more. So, you know, this is what it's all about. Uh, and it's a, a game that started in the Southeastern Conference and the ACC and the Big Ten. And then the commissioners start making more and the playoff guys make more and athletic directors make more. I tell you. I mean, do people realize how much money? What do you do with that check that you get every week or every month? I mean, uh, that's that's to be a problem. That take me a week to figure that out. So you know, I I just think it's uh, it's all overplayed. Too much money. Uh, one person trying to outdo the others. Uh, the facility race. I really don't have anything against that, but because it's great facilities for the student athletes, the stadiums, and all of the above. But as far as the pay, the necessary pay, uh, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you feel like coaches' salaries are ridiculous, you feel like Larry Scott's salary is ridiculous, you look at Roger Goodell, he makes like $40 million. This, I mean, we're in this open market society, and not all the sports, when they're paying the athletes, are in open market. It's very different in baseball than the NFL, where there's no salary cap versus uh, much bigger salary cap. You can cut players. You don't get rid of things. That's why guaranteed money is such a big deal in the NFL. But when you're talking about coaches' salaries, it's pretty much what the the market will bear. I mean, if you went to Target and you wanted to buy, you know, toilet paper because that was been an issue lately, and they were charging, you know, eighty dollars for four rolls of toilet paper, you just wouldn't buy it there. You would go somewhere else and see, you know, what the, whatever the market would be. It's $5 somewhere else. That's where I'm going to go buy it. And then Target's eventually going to have to stop pricing it that high. But this, there's market, you know, market conditions and you know, the market kind of moves up and down. I feel like we could have a major impact on the coaching salary market because of the coronavirus pandemic. We're going to see, you know, we like Coach mentioned, Stanford cut 11 sports. I think they were trying to cut them before, and this was sort of a good reason why. But there's going to be athletic departments out there that were looking to to cut some revenue, I mean, cut some uh, expenses. And it might be there were some sports that were on the chopping block that wouldn't be all that popular to cut. They might cut some of those now. And I we know that they're going to have to be tightening their belts and try to, uh, you know, run this department at, you know, much more of a deficit than they were doing before. And that might say, well... Hey, Purdue was paying, you know, five and a half million dollars for their for their head coach because they get this huge TV deal from the Big Ten. Well, that money goes away or that that's reduced because you know football doesn't happen for a year. Are you going to be able to pay uh, your head coach? You know, is Jeff Brom going to get five and a half million wherever he gets? Can you hire Mel Tucker away in Michigan State and pay some big buyout and and pay him five or six million or whatever he's getting a five and seven coach from Colorado? Um, that's what they did. But the market was, they were trying to find a coach to replace, you know, to, for, you know, they were trying to find the right head coach and they were priced out of certain markets and whatever. I mean, it just because that's, they had to overpay because that's what was, that's what the market was, you know, going on in the market right now. If you're, you know, trying to buy a house during a time where, you know, houses are scarce and housing prices are going to go up. Uh, if housing prices are going down, a lot of open things on the market, it's a lot easier to buy a house. So I feel like we might see some of the some sort of market correction because of the coronavirus but Joan as of now it's no one's fault but USC that they they hired a, a head coach 
or they they extended a head coach and gave him a fully guaranteed contract in five years without any incentive-based stuff. That's up to the agent. That's up to the athletic director. So what happens is if if Clay Helton's agent uh, comes up to USC and says, hey, this is what we want, USC can say, go pound sand, go find a better gig somewhere else. And then Clay Helton could go and try to look somewhere. Or I, I feel like the problem with USC was you didn't have a coach that had any leverage and you gave him everything. You could have said you, or, you know, he could have given him an extension, but it could have been more of like what Jones said, like, Hey, you know what? We're not real happy with the way the uh, cotton bowl turned out and, and losing the Notre Dame this year. So we're going to put some things into your contract that you got to win these games during the year. Then you'll get paid this much money. If you don't, then we can opt out or whatever. I think USC was in a great position because, you know, it, it, Clay Helton wasn't going to have a lot of other options. If you're talking about Nick Saban and you want to nickel and dime him, he could go anywhere. Like anyone would hire him in a heartbeat. Uh, if it's Urban Meyer, if it's Dabo Sweeney, you got to pay those guys a lot of money because other people are willing to pay them a lot of money. We're not all the other coaches they are. And sometimes they're going to pay a lot of money to a coach that's a questionable that's a, you know, it's a real risk. Mel Tucker was a head coach for one year, didn't have a winning record, and is now one of the highest paid coaches in the country. So that's just sort of the situation Michigan State was in when they had to hire him. So I know sorry, it's a long rambling thing, but it, to me, it's more about an open market. There are certain things. I know you're mad that Clay Helton got that extension, but that's on USC side. They didn't need to do that. If you, They could have negotiated something much better. And I feel like Mike Bone would have negotiated something much better that wouldn't hold them over a barrel right now. Because if it's a situation where Clay Helton wasn't going to be able to be hired by some, an equivalent program or something even close, then there, you don't have to pay him as much. You don't have to uh, cave to his demands, but they did. And now USC stuck with it and he's going to be around, you know, for a few, few more years on his contract. Um, even though a lot of the fans aren't really happy with it. So sorry, long rant there, coach, but that's just my thoughts on things. I'm a big open market guy. This is a market. We might see a market correction, but USC was in a good market position and completely overpaid, and they didn't need to do that. Well, there's a lot of universities that I'm talking to general. My general opinion is that all, all everybody's overpaid. I mean, uh, you take the college president at USC. Let's don't pick on the athletic director and football coach. Let's go in other areas. I mean, how much do you have to pay a college president? What, Nikias or whatever his name is, they settled with $7.6 million? Are you kidding me? $7.6 million to go away? And how about the new college president? I mean, uh, they have a beautiful mansion in San Marino, a beautiful mansion that was given to the university, and the way I understand it, she didn't want to live there. It's too beautiful, probably, and too close to school. I, I don't understand why she wouldn't want to stay where everybody else stayed. So I guess they're selling that house. I just read what I read in the papers. I don't know. I'm not in the market for a home. That home probably sell for $15, 20000000 million. I don't know. And they buy our home in Santa Monica for $8.9 million. Before that, they were renting the house, the way I understand it, in Malibu at what, twenty twenty-five thousand dollars a month? Are you kidding me? I mean, come on, guys. What's going on in the business world? And then you can't pay professors and you can't uh, do certain things. I mean, I, everything's got way out of line, I think. Everything is way out of line. 
as far as an education. And then they raise the tuition, the way I understand it. Now, I'm just saying this. I don't have a student there, but they're raising the tuition, what, 3.5% or something? I mean, my goodness, please. I mean, uh, there's just a point where people can only afford so much, and people see all this, and people are going to start to say, why should I pay this amount of tuition when my kids aren't even experiencing a college campus life? They're taking their courses online, or they're staying at home. So you've got to really, uh, you know, look at everything where we are, and I'm sorry the show is like this today, but it, it, they more or less blame 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 ourselves or the people out there that have allowed all this to happen. Don't always blame the student athlete or anybody else, but they read the same papers we do. They read the same articles and the money other people are making. And yes, if they do play in the NFL, and yes, if they become a great star, They'll make huge dollars. Look at the money that's being paid professional athletes today. My goodness, please. I mean, guaranteed $75 million, guaranteed $80 million. If you don't play it down, $80 million. What did Bosa get? $78 million guaranteed or something? I mean, golly, $135 million. How much money is that? Would you guys think about that? And I think he's a great player, and I don't blame him at all. But uh, I don't know where the money comes from to be able to do these type of things. Yeah. So that's it's just a, crazy. That's another potential market correction, Coach. Is that it is a there? You know, there's not going to be a lot of uh, in-person instruction at universities. The university prices, you know, just to go to a university has been they just keep going up every year. And there are definitely smart people out there that are saying. You know, before they were like, "Hey, you should definitely go to college," and there's people are going to make the argument that it's better off financially to not go to college, and that wasn't the case before. But as it gets more and more expensive, and all the debt you'll be in afterwards, that's one of those things. So, does the market correct itself, and do these universities have to lower tuition if, you know, say during the pandemic, uh, you know, the admission rates, you know, there, the, the uh, you know, the number of people going to college. Uh, goes down. There's less people that are in, you know, applying. There's less people that are interested, and now their kind of system that's been working and just kind of growing and growing every year takes a step backwards. Maybe that is a correction, and maybe you see tuitions come down. It's just hard to say. Uh, but sometimes you get something in a situation like this pandemic, your life changes, and then sometimes those changes are for the better. Sometimes they're changes for the worse. Maybe we see less commuting because more people realize, hey, we can work from home. It's been a good thing. It's not as it's not as bad as we all thought it was going to be. Boom. And now more people work from home. You didn't know that you, until the pandemic hit. So something bad happened, but you might get you might learn some things and and be better off for it. Maybe college students in the future will be better off for it because tuition's forced to come down uh, after the pandemic. Who knows? We're not sure, but to, you know, I think that would just be another example of a market correction uh, kind of sort of forced by this pandemic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to Accounting 101. I wish Balance I, I wish I, st- I took accounting. I didn't really, yeah. I'm, I'm no expert, <laughs> but just my understanding. Accounting 101. Uh, Professor Hyde, Professor Hyde, yeah. Abraham uh, here on our podcast today. It all comes down to money, doesn't it, folks? It's always money. Money, money, money. It always uh, rules the world and rules everything that's going on and and uh, that's sort of what our podcast has been about today.
Yeah. Well, we'll see, buddy. Uh, definitely is is a big part of college football. Uh, it's you know the reason why you can get guys like Nick Saban making eight nine million dollars a year or whatever. You, you know, get all that, all the uh, the Oregon money from Nike and and the facilities and stuff you have. It, you know, money makes things work. We might see a correction in all that too. I, who knows? But uh, we're we're still crossing our fingers. We're gonna get college football season. At the end of the day, we love the sport. We love the players that play it, the coaches that coach it. We love watching the sport. The money thing is involved because so many people like it. There's going to be money involved in it. But if there was no money, I would still love to watch uh, college football. But that's just not the way. That's not the reality right now. There's plenty of money in it, and uh, you know we wouldn't be doing the show if you know we, if there wasn't the kind of interest uh, that there is in college football that we know there is, and that def- definitely drives up the revenue. But uh, coach, whew, that was a long one. I didn't think it would be that long, but man, we had a lot of stuff to talk about today. Well, I tell you what, we don't do this show because of the revenue that we're making. Because right. I don't make anything. <laughs> we do it because we love it. Because we love it. And this is what the point of it is. And how much money are you making listening to it, ladies and gentlemen? Nothing. Yeah. That's our whole point. Yeah. We love doing it. You love, hopefully you love listening and uh, you love college football. So we are here for you. And hopefully we'll be here for the 2020 college football season. All right. That is the coach. I am Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. We'll do another show with Dan Weber. We had him, took a little break uh, last week since I was out of town, but I did have a special show. Uh, Bill Holland, um, former USC running back, scored a touchdown against Alabama in that 1970 game, and he's been helping out or was helping out in the athletic department during the transition. So hopefully you check out that show from last week. Uh, Bill was great. I uh, got two master's degrees from USC, a really smart dude. So really fun talking to him, but uh, we'll get Dan Weber on again this week and uh, get his thoughts on the new uh, conference uh, schedule. We'll do a PAC 12 podcast this week. We'll get into more of the, uh, this initiative from the PAC 12 that we are United hashtag and uh, some of the stuff that's been going on at Washington state, lots of interesting stuff to get to. So make sure you check that out. The podcast of champions. If you don't subscribe to that one, it's a separate feed. Uh, my Pac-12 show that I do with David Woods, who covers UCLA for the uh, Bruin Report online sites. So we've been partnered up the last five or six years. But that's the coach. I'm Ryan. And thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 